Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You, a projection of iHeartRadio. And welcome back to part two of the myths of virginity and purity. And here, we're actually going to be speaking a lot more to purity and purity culture of what it looks like Mm -hmm. today. But first, uh, just a trigger warning. We're not really talking uh, in depth about anything really uh, sexual or any of that. We're just really talking more of analogies and present culture and idea of abstinence. But for those who have been raised in maybe Southern Baptist cultures or Western Christian cultures, this may be too much for you, and that's fine. So just go ahead and put that mm-hmm. here at the top because we're going to dive deep into that, the American idea of uh, purity. And sometimes that can be traumatic, especially if you've had a falling out with religion. This might be a little more traumatic, so FYI. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, Annie, I have to ask, and I already know this answer, but I, actually, I don't know if I know this answer because you said you were pretty, you grew up in a religious town. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get involved in any type of Christian organizations in school? when you were in Dahlonega, which is the small town in Georgia. Yes. I didn't get involved in school. Funnily enough, I once like really embarrassed myself. I was in seventh grade and this popular girl asked me in a very like, in a clear way that there's only one right answer. And she said, are you a Christian? And I didn't know what that meant, even though I did go to church. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know. But I went through a period where I was really religious But in general, I wasn't. That was like one hardcore year of my life. I thought it was cool to be religious. So I would go with my friends usually over the summer. I would do like, you know, Bible vacation camp with them, with their churches. I would do things like that. But I always felt like the friend who can't be saved or something. Like the weirdo friend who's like not enlightened enough to realize that she's going to go straight to hell. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Okay. So you would have been that friend that I would have been trying to convert in high school. Uh, I guess so. I mean, by high school, yeah, I was already like, nope, I'm not religious. But yeah, this was middle school where I was interested in in religion, but I just never, I don't know. It didn't really take off with me, I guess. Yeah, which is interesting because in my... In my school, the popular kids were the First Baptist Church kids. Mm -hmm. And they were the president of all the FCA, so uh, the uh, Christians Athlete Clubs. Mm -hmm. Uh, You were a part of that. You came in early mornings to do the different Christian clubs, to be a part of it. You weren't cool unless you went to church events. And I couldn't afford Uh it until way later. So I was like 10th, Mm -hmm. 11th grade before I could go to any of those things. But of course, you also know the tales that couples came out of these little Christian camps as well. Right. I was a diehard. When it comes to anything emotional, spiritual, I get caught up in it. I mm-hmm. love the beauty of of that, of being swept into a moment, feeling that energy. And I I got caught all up in that. And it is. And, and when it comes to religion, and sex, we know the lines. It is very defined. And though value of virginity is international, we've talked about this, we talked about this previously, it's historical, it's international. When it comes to Western Christian ideology, specifically in the U.S., the ideology of purity has a whole new spin and a lot more money to it. Mm -hmm. So we did want to talk about that 
in this episode. And yes, again, very we know it's very Americanized in this, but it's such a fascinating subject to me that if I were not in the middle of it and I did not grow up in it, I would be blown away. And and as you talked about when you visited like France, people are like, "What is wrong with you?" <laughs> yeah, America. That was a real eye opener for me because uh, I don't know how it came up, but the uh, host family I was living with, uh, there was a woman a little bit older than me. Uh, at the time. So we were both like, you know, 18, 19. And um, she was like, oh yeah, my first time wasn't good. I barely remember it. Like, it's not a big deal here. And I was like, what? Right, <laughs> right. I, I find it funny because we talked about this earlier, how you and I, when I was doing this research, part of this research, I was looking at the cultural differences. And again, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of cultural differences because the value of women and autonomy is kind of overall like, yeah, women are valued less everywhere. Let's just be very honest. But the idea that outside of the US, most cultures are like, yeah, white girls are sluts, right? They don't, they don't care. They're crazy. Like it's it's almost funny to me to see that level. Cause uh, I I don't think about that. And again, I'm Asian and to me, I've been fetishized since my childhood. I've been abused, uh, you know, in my childhood because a part of that and a part of that appeal of young girls and and the nastiness of pedophilia and all that, that I was a part of that world. And so all of that ruined so much of Mm -hmm. the concepts to me in general. So because I've already felt dirty, I already felt like an outsider, I already felt like the other, white girls were the obvious preference of who I wish I was. (laughs) <laughs> mm, and who mm-hmm. what, what people prefer in my mind. Of course, we know that's right. not true at all. But it's kind of funny when we look at, like, I think one of the uh, research papers talked about how uh, the Latinx women who had grown up understanding sex was beautiful, and they also valued their virginity and, and valued this morality. But it wasn't about waiting till marriage. It was just about waiting to find someone you cared about and experiencing something beautiful in the story. Mm-hmm. And this whole idea of waiting till marriage was so absurd to them in that idea mm-hmm. of like, so you're trapping yourself without knowing you're going you're to be happy. Like that, and that, like, that's yeah. absurd. Why would, why would you want to do that? And, and I, I kind of right. laugh. I'm like, yeah, I think I grew up when I finally realized that like, 22, 23, that I'm like, I don't think I want to be married. This is not, <laughs> this is not sustainable. This idea is not sustainable. But I found that interesting when you look outside of that perspective of how different it really is when it comes to the U.S. and beyond. So it's kind of like, okay, let's take this deep dive because it's a hell of a tell. <laughs> <laughs> so purity culture has been around the U.S. for quite some time. But in the early 90s, conservative evangelists in the U.S. Protestant groups organized a strategy one person called extreme abstinence. And this was kind of a reaction to the MTV Wild and Out kind of era where Girls mm-hmm. Gone Wild was getting really popular at this point. Yeah. The beach house where girls you know, we're dancing in bikinis and all of the old-fashioned American families were like, oh my God, what's happening to our kids? Mm -hmm. So the reaction was extreme abstinence. Oh Lord. So those who (laughs) advocated for this would advise girls and women to be submissive, stay away from leadership roles and conform to old ideals of courtship, not being in mixed company, unless regulated, and making sure they're guarding every part of their preciousness. <laughs> and when they speak of courtship, the practice involves making sure that the interaction between women and men were specifically to pursue an intent in marriage under the explicit supervision and permission of the woman's 
father. Nowhere are we talking about mothers in this, by the way. Yeah. And as one article explains, quote, this expectation is that pure young women will remain under the authority of fathers until they trade it for the authority of their husbands in marriages arranged by their fathers. So they were going all out and controlling from young to old. So we got you from childhood all the way up, and we're going to control every aspect, including dating, including meeting men, including getting married. Of course, I know on uh, Sminty, they've talked about marriages and weddings and all of Mm -hmm. the bad connotations to that and all of the nice connotations, but how that is steeped in patriarchal traditions. And this is kind of fulfilling and being a part of that as well. Beyond just the practices of abstinence and submission, the movement goes another step backwards, yeah, I said it, for young girls and women, with the expectation that women would be wholly responsible for not being temptations or stumbling blocks for men. That women must be responsible by doing everything in their power in regards to the way they talk, dress, or act in, in a way that would not evoke sexual desire from a man. Because obviously, men can't control themselves, duh, when it comes to right. sex. Everything else, they can control our bodies, yeah, but they can't control their own bodies. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever been a part of Sunday school, we all learned of how Eve is the mother of temptation, and she is the mm-hmm. one that caused Adam to sin. So, of course, that's going to affect all of creation and humanity, right? Right. Yeah, and I, you know... We are speaking in a lot of like generalizations in these because that's just the research that we have or the information that we have. But I remember the first time I went to the Vatican and I it was summer and I was in shorts and a tank top and I tried to go in one of the churches and these like old men came running at me, screaming at me and like shooed me out. And it they were they had like this thing they would cover you with to go in and you know, I'm not trying to disrespect anybody's belief or cultures, but it was just a moment of like, holy hell, I can't even, I was wearing shorts in a day. It's not like right. I right. naked or something. Right. Um, but yeah, feeling that shame, like immediately, it just, it drew so much attention to me. It was so embarrassing. Right. Oh God. Yeah. So this new strategy, it not only pushed a powerful narrative and movement, but yeah, it brought in a lot of money, whether it was new books and study guides for church youth groups all over the country, retreats or new programs. Um, There was money spent to push this narrative, including large amounts of grants sent to schools and organizations that taught abstinence-only programs. My school was one of those. I don't know if they got any money but abstinence only was our education. <laughs> so yeah, they would because automatically that was the only qualifier. If you're willing to not teach comprehensive sex ed and do abstinence only, you get this federal grant at that point in time. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. And out of that, with the mega push for mega churches and the Southern Baptist Convention, we have programs like True Love Waits. Did you have this program? I, we might have. I don't remember it, but I mean, it sounds familiar. <laughs> it I sounds like something I, I heard about. I can clearly and vividly see the signs. It was a giant banner. We had a whole table set in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. 
during lunch that kids can go over and sign the cards. You got a sticker, you got a pen, uh, you got a little swag, and then you walked away. It was purple and white and pink, and it was super cute. And true love waits. Yay! And then we had a huge conference about it, uh, an assembly for it. Wow. Well, (laughs) I do think we're not talking about this this much in this one. We didn't talk about it too much in the other one, but I do think uh, there's been kind of a pushback of um, basically what I'm saying. We put too much pressure on virginity one way or the other because in my school, that would have been a very uncool thing to do. Like, you would have been made fun of. And that, like, that's not cool either. But, you know, uh, I do think we've also got that aspect of... Yeah. Once you reach a certain age and you're a virgin, <laughs> wipe your hands on that person, which is also ridiculous. Right. But okay, True Love Waits is a campaign created in 1993, which was an abstinent-only youth program that used different tactics for young teens to commit to abstaining from sex and waiting for love. They use conferences, concerts, school campaigns that registered kids to sign cards with, uh, with a vow of chastity. Purity balls began in the 90s as well, a bit different. Instead of just a vow written on a card, promising to yourself and God, it was a father-daughter dance that uh, allowed an opportunity for the daughter and father to exchange vows of chastity and protection to each other the daughter vowing to her father to remain pure until her marriage, and the father vowing to somehow protecting their daughter's purity as well. Many of the events involved an exchange of purity rings. A lot of these events were actually federally funded, and not surprisingly, a pretty big hit in the Christian schools, including Christian homeschool movements and a lot of modern uh, relevant churches and affiliated Christian programs. Right. I I found these fascinating. I was not a part of this. Again, my family, they they would talk about it and would hope for the best, but let you be. Kind of, I think Mm -hmm. they understood like you can't make a kid do something. That's not possible. If you forbid something, why? Why would you do that? And there was there was a, a decent amount of conversation and trust when it came to that type of conversation. Mm-hmm. I will say, because of this, in my circle, which it was not necessarily uncool to be a virgin, that was not a thing. Mm-hmm. It was weirder to see people have sex, and I was in shock for it because I was in like, but, 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 but. But when it came down to uh, what happened instead, kind of in that same idea of waiting till marriage. Marriage ended up being at 19 years old and and now a chunk of people are divorced. And that included my family members. They're trying to save themselves from marriage. They're trying to wait, do the right thing. And then, oh no, I rushed into this because of lust rather than love, Mm -hmm. which is easy to confuse when we're confused about what love and lust is in general. Yeah, especially when you're young. Yeah. But yeah, these purity balls were such a weird concept to me. It sounded mm-hmm. nice because, of course, you want to be with your dad and hanging out, kind of reminiscent of the father-daughter dance at uh, a wedding, which also has a lot to do with the patriarchal mm-hmm. traditions as well and handing over the daughter, all of these things. Right. And it, the fact that this began so early... so. Some of the people who, some of the kids who attended, some of the girls were six years old. So it started at six years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. I know a lot of people say 16, but it actually started at six. And so this kind of level was mm-hmm. this automatic, like, instillment of your mind 
And if you do this, mm-hmm. you're going to disappoint me, which is kind right. of the majority of sitcoms and or TV shows that I've seen is the narrative of disappointing the father because they had sex. Oh, no. And yeah. ruining their relationship because they somehow broke a trust, which is sad. Right. I mean, yeah, so much of what we're talking about, all of it, it's very heteronormative. I know we said it yes. in the last one, but yeah, also here, very heteronormative vagina penis sex we're talking about. But almost everything we're talking about, I'm struck, and I shouldn't be, by how it's all about men. <laughs> right. Like, even if we're talking about women and why, you know, women doing these things, it's still, like, the men first <laughs> right. doing it. Oh. So you never signed those cards? No. Okay, uh, okay. And I don't remember that being a thing. Like I said, in my school, it was kind of a tightrope and it was hard to win, but that would have been very uncool. There, there were certain... There was a group of like really Christian kids. And yeah, my best friend who was her parents were really Catholic. I got a lot of like hearing from her about, yeah, no living together before marriage, no sex before marriage. She always said, try it before you buy it. But um, <laughs> um, yeah, in my group, we didn't really do that. I, I know I've told the story before that uh, a niece of mine, uh, I got contacted. She was eight. By, by her mother and her mother wanted me to be at this chastity ceremony and I refused to go. And I told her why. Uh, I was like, look, I want to be supportive of things. Th- these are my problems with it. Uh, I never heard from her again. <laughs> How old was the girl when they had the ceremony? I think she was eight. She was eight. I think so. Wow. Yeah. So were they having her in like a white dress and all of that? Yes. Yeah. So it was a mock wedding with her father. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's so many things to uncover with that. Again, it's it's kind of this whole this whole conversation, as you were saying before, is like, yeah, it's very heteronormative, but it is also the understanding of how this gendered roles and gendered biases are placed and staunchly uh, looked down on if you try to disrupt it mm-hmm. as well, which is why they're not considered because automatically you're dismissed, as we talked about uh, in the last episode, when marginalized women were automatically dismissed of being pure point blank, because you're not white. Uh, It's that same concept here that if you're not heterosexual and you're not cisgender, that means you are automatically dismissed as impure. So therefore, you're not a part of this narrative. Again, very damaging in so many ways because it neglects so much and obviously is hurtful, dismissive, and um, just fairly the fact to other that because you're not in this majority which is not mm-hmm. a majority, if you really think on it, but in their mind it is, because it's supposed to be the norm, quote-unquote. And I, I'm saying this very, very, like, sarcastically, but this is the assumption. Yeah. But yeah, this is that very big conversation of, like, we are instilling gender biases that are damaging in yes. this type of practice. But it's also, yeah, it is absolutely a key point for a lot of the religious right. This is what they want. This is what they're doing is Mm -hmm. to bring this. And and we don't talk about this in this episode, but actually, and everything I read through, of course, it hasn't involved. I was just tired, I think. We were just tired (laughs) by the end of this. We're like, oh, there's so much that we just like, okay, we can't get into this too. But yes, this is very political. This is a very big political stance. A lot of these movements are political about Mm -hmm. taking autonomy away from women in general. And it begins at a young age when it comes to sexual identity because you must find shame and shame factors into what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, what you're seen as. And again, 
if it's not based for procreation, then therefore it's already mm-hmm. sin to begin with, right? Right. So it's, it's yeah. this whole level. And I remember growing up reading books like Passion and Purity, which I, I'm sure you'd, I was, I read a lot of Christian literature in high school. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I, I want to shout out to our friend uh, who wrote to us, who lives in rural Georgia, yeah. saying, I hear you, Samantha, I'm right with you with the religion. Hi. Yeah, this is exactly, <laughs> like, I was inundated and I put myself there, but it wasn't my parents because they didn't read this stuff. It was me. Mm-hmm. That I got caught up in that because I needed to feel whole. And I'm going to kind of come back to my own little editorial bit, I guess, mm-hmm. in that because I got caught up in this, I really wanted to find value in myself again. And this felt like a way I could. So I took that whole thing of, I don't know if you, uh, I told you about this book, uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, which turns out the dude who wrote this book made a lot of money, finally found his wife, wrote about that, and how about how he saved himself from marriage and purity and courtship. Again, we talked about it in the first episode, if you want to know mm-hmm. what we're talking about, about courtship, all of these things. And then coming into like, I think present day, he's like, uh, I was wrong. Never mind. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and essentially disavowed that. And there's been several, actually, several more um, current contemporary Christian people who are on that same line. Not necessarily saying you should have sex, but like, this is not the right idea. This is not the right way. This is too patriarchal. This is this is damaging to girls. And as in fact, the woman that I read, Passion and Purity, she wrote the story about finding her husband, finding her love. Turns out he dies. I think she marries three more times because they all die on her, um, which is oh. sad. But somehow uh-huh. finding love all the time, you're like, well, congratulations, I guess. <laughs> and this whole idea of concept of like having purity and growing together and they're missionaries together and saving the world together. And then he goes off and gets killed. Uh, and so she finds a new husband, but really idealizes her first husband. It was really odd. Went to a conference and I didn't attend it, but people who were so excited to see her, so excited to hear her words because she's such a you know godly woman, as they would say. And then she comes about talking about how, hey, girls, if you're fat, you're displeasing your husband. If you're not cooking for your husband, then you're not doing it. Like all of these things, wow. giving a list of what you're doing mm-hmm. wrong. And like, I remember one friend of mine at that time came home heartbroken because she had already struggled with the fact that she felt like she was overweight, which wasn't true. She felt like because she was, uh, I think she was mid-30s, late late 20s, that because she hadn't had, found a husband, she was failing. And all she wanted to do was have a child and be a wife because that's what she was told her value was. And because mm-hmm. this woman was blaming her for her physical state, not doing being submissive enough, not praying enough, she truly felt that. And yeah. was so heartbroken. I think she also understood this was wrong, but mm-hmm. still put that into herself. Like, yeah, you're right. It's my yeah. fault. And I, I felt that in religion, yeah. being a leadership. I'm, like, I'm not faithful enough. That I'm not mm-hmm. submissive enough. I'm not all. And it's such a that that guilt. When I finally was yeah. like, this is bullshit. Was such mm-hmm. a release. I, I just can't yeah. talk about it enough. But this plays all into this. It's purity aspect, which again, the whole idea of virginity was always about controlling women and subjugating women to men, as it says of the meaning at the very base of the word. That's what the problem is. It's not the problem that you don't have sex. If you don't want to have sex, that's perfect. That's normal. That's Mm -hmm. okay. That should be your choice. And just as you said, people pushing you and like this whole narrative of trying to peer pressure someone into having sex. That's so absurd too. And that is just as dangerous. Yeah. No, absolutely. As as all we're talking about Mm -hmm. for sure. But it is this whole narrative of who's controlling it and why is it being pushed? Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing. And, And honestly, as I was talking about, 
with my own self, feeling like even though it was not my fault, it was nothing to do with me, this dirtiness of this. And yeah, it is. It's, it's part of that instilling that it's dirtiness for girls if they have sex. And as I was talking about earlier, um, and it, it really always rubbed me the wrong way, but it made sense because I love a good analogy <laughs> about uh-huh. the lollipop. You know, uh, so if you read Jessica Valenti's book, uh, The Purity Myth, she actually talks about going to a conference, actually. Uh, this dude says, your body is a wrapped lollipop. When you have sex with a man, he unwraps your lollipop and sucks on it. It may feel great at the time, but unfortunately, when he's done with you, all you have left for your next partner is a poorly wrapped saliva-filled sucker. Oh. Yeah. So that's the analogy that was being passed around. And I heard that, yeah. like, you know, you take a lick. And and again, I think I said it in the first episode about the analogy of this youth pastor brought out a candy bar, passed it around. And by the time it got to a certain person, they're like, I don't want this. And like, see, that's mm-hmm. that's exactly what we're talking about when he talks about sex. When you go around with right. so many partners, who's going to want you? Mm-hmm. It is absolutely, do- it didn't have much to do with the guy. Of course, Typically, yes, it was also supposed to be for men as well. And that's why uh, the dude who did I Kiss a Dating Goodbye was so popular because it was written by a man about his virginity. And finally, mm-hmm. we could see this. But it had the same idea of you're being shared, you're being dirty. Yeah. There was also this whole conversation about chewing gum, essentially unwrapping her and chewing her up. Mm-hmm. That's who has leftover, leftover chewing gum. Um, and if yeah. you've been to any church or youth group, I think this all sounds probably very familiar because, you know, analogies and metaphors make up about 50% of all the sermons <laughs> and lessons preached uh-huh. when it comes to stuff like this, especially if they're like more of a relevant contemporary church. You definitely hear that. I mean, that's kind of what the Bible was, parables upon parables on parables. Right. Um, but the purity movement was no different. And again, yeah, there's so many analogies alluding to the idea that people who have sex are dirty and mm-hmm. used up. And as in fact, it's so steeped into our idea. It's not just there. It's always been around. Uh, Sex in the City did the whole thing. Once again, bingo card for <laughs> Sex in the City. They did. They talked about the fact that, again, Charlotte, if she was too sexual, she was the whore. And he saw her uh, as a Madonna, so he couldn't have sex with her because she was too pure type of thing. But then at the same time, right. talking about how many partners they've had and feeling dirty and oh my God. Yeah. And, and like it's and it's definitely the slut mm-hmm. versus, you know, am I a, the episode I think is called Am I a Slut? But it's such an idea that is is inundated in women that that's what it is. We're being used up, which is such a yeah. weird conversation to have anyway. And it is a part of this whole level of purity. Again, obviously, mm-hmm. dirty. If you're not pure, you're dirty. What else are you? But it is so heavily laid that it becomes really dangerous and problematic. Yeah. And I mean, we've all heard the the jokes about, you know, the village bicycle. Mm-hmm. And that kind of puts... I guess that's another avenue where we see this value that we place on virginity and purity. Because essentially what you're saying there is like two men... She's easy to get. Anyone can get her. Like, she should be ashamed. She's dirty. And you want, as a man, to get someone that other men could not get. Right. And that somehow is great for your ego. And yeah, you don't have to worry that maybe she's got another child with another man somewhere. (laughs) Once again. Yeah, 
so it's not a surprise to see that these types of ideas, methods, and myths can be damaging. Um, and we wanted to look a bit into what could be some of the results of all this. And since, Samantha, you brought up Sex in the City, I shall bring up something I bring up all the time, horror movies. There's a horror movie called The Last Exorcism, which has its issues. But at the heart of it, it's a really religious girl who, well, it's complicated because there's a twist, but she is traumatized because she had sex before marriage mm -hmm. and like goes into demon possession as an alternative to, I would rather people think that than think that I've had sex. Wow. Before. Yeah. And she, at the end, when like the exorcism is, you know, it's coming to a head, uh, she just screams out, I'm not innocent. Because she had sex. Uh, but then also <laughs> demons happen. So, <laughs> and then demons happen. That's fair. <laughs> yes. Yes. But all right. In the real world, um, when we are talking about problems of all this, well, we've been talking about them, but here's some more. Um, there's fetishism of virginity. It's not hard to see. It has become a whole thing. Uh, yeah, we've seen it in badly made movies that reference the idea of taking someone's virginity or porn videos, which promote the viewing of a young girl losing her virginity or even seeing it as a fear tactic of sex trafficking and young girls. There becomes a dangerous line of how girls are viewed as literal commodities or trophies to be conquered that is tied to the overall mythical importance of trying to keep one's morality. Right. Taken is a prime example of that movie. <laughs> that whole thing. I never saw that documentary film my dad <laughs> <laughs> told me about. <laughs> oh, you've never seen Taken? No, I've never oh, seen it. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it's it's absolutely... The whole thing, again, because we talked about with Bridget about the fact that, you know, um, right. trafficking girls. But at the end, his daughter is a prize because she's a virgin. A white virgin oh, at that. Wow. And she's wow. bid on and given all the fancy treatment. And of course, she's saved. Her virginity is saved yeah. by her father, y'all. Her virginity yeah, is wow. saved by her father. There that is. Wow, that's the thing you were talking about. Uh-huh. And we can go on uh, to one step further about this fetishism, uh, which ties to the pickup artist beliefs and tactics that women are taught to fight men. So that means a man has to push harder and try harder because it's all a ruse. This is something that they're just taught. This is something that's ingrained into them, but they don't really want it. Mm -hmm. And they want men to pursue women to the point of harassment right. and to the point that they can't say no, obviously. Right. And this is kind of that one last thing. This is kind of more of what you're talking about, about the fact that women can choose not to have sex. It's just either way, consent is taken away, saying that, you, no, you don't want to say no. You don't want to say yeah. yes, but you don't want to say no either. It's, it's this whole level right. that is a game that we're being taught because, again, we have no autonomy. There's another problem with this whole thing. Again, yes, there's been so many problems that I've been stating, <laughs> I've been going off on. Early sexualization of young girls. And it's that same narrative we've seen repeatedly throughout society, whether we're talking about how a girl dresses, so a school dress code, or what they're being told to protect or how to act. It begins to sexualize them. They don't even think they're coming on with a cute dress. They want to match their mom in a cute way. Yeah. They want to wear heels. And it's automatically like, how dare you dress a young girl like that? That is sexualizing them. They're not doing it. Mm -hmm. You're doing it. Why are you doing this? But this is kind of that whole propagation of, yeah, this is what you're doing and it's your fault and I see her like this because of you. Right. And it's part of this conversation. Again, it teaches girls things like purity balls, which for some recur again in their adolescence, that their bodies are a weapon of sin. So mm -hmm. it is something that can be used against them 
or they have to protect as if it's like a weapon. And then instead of be allowing a girl to be a girl, they're judged based on whether or not they're tempting men. And we talked about that in our book club for um, the House on Mango Street is kind of that conversation yeah. on whether they're tempting men just because they're there, just right. because they wore heels. That that whole, that kind of reminds me of that. They just thought it was pretty. They just liked it. They saw, they saw their parents mm-hmm. and they thought it was cute. And it became a weapon and a temptation for a man and it scared them. Because they mm-hmm. realized what they were being seen as, even though they didn't do this for them. Yeah. And in this very way, the purity balls are teaching them to fear their own bodies. Yeah. And not just purity balls, but this purity movement and ideas are teaching kids at a young age about their bodies and how they're tempting and how they need to be afraid of themselves. Yeah. And we talked about it when we talked about the Lolita podcast with Jamie and the whole mm-hmm. Lolita effect, which is out there and out and about, uh, which allows for many to blame a young girl for their own impure thoughts or for some yeah. older women's self-hatred. Like this level of where we become so aware of ourselves and fearful of what our bodies are doing. It's just, it's so heartbreaking. I hate it. I hate it so much. And uh, this also makes naive young girls gatekeepers of sex. As in fact, Jessica Valenti, she talks about her experience when she first had sex and what she thought of versus, and then she contacted her partner at the time, her boyfriend from the time, and asked him what he thought for her book. And he kind of was, he literally just said, you know, but you had more control than I did because you're a girl. You know, girl, boys can't control this. And because of these, like, misconceived ideas of who is more sexual, girls are seen being able to be in more control. So, therefore, they have all right. of the control of whether to say so of, yes, having sex or not having sex, um, or whether or not who's to blame and who's to shame mm-hmm. when this happens. Yeah. So, it's kind of that whole level of, like, wow, well, y'all are putting a lot on young girls. How do they even, how did we function? Yeah. No, for sure. Like. It's it's setting you up as a young girl to be ready to blame yourself um, if any like sexual assault happens to you and to fear your body. Your body is to blame. You did something wrong. You have to question that was I sending any wrong signals, anything like that. Um, it's just from so young teaching that. Right. And then something we've kind of discussed throughout is the misconception of consent. For women, when looking at the purity culture, the concept is that sex is a commodity and has some type of moral value, but is something to be owned and taken, which can send a lot of mixed messages of what consent looks like. Biblically, we have examples of women who were raped and not being seen as a victim, but seen as soiled and ruined. And if they are not married to their perpetrator, their worth and value has been diminished and oftentimes cast aside and no longer part of society and blamed for letting their most valuable asset be taken. I feel like we see that in movies all the time where it's Mm -hmm. like the army is invading, like, I'm going to rape your wife over and over. And it's meant to be like, now she's ruined for you. Right. Less about the trauma she's going to go through, but more about... I've tainted her for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Though this has changed somewhat in society, we can see the value of women in that same manner when it comes to roles inside of marriages today. It wasn't until not too long ago when the law recognized here in the U.S. that rape can occur in marriage. For those who are victims of abuse who have been taught that purity is the most valued part of them, feeling of this overwhelming guilt and shame can really over overshadow their worth. Yeah, and it doesn't even, it 
not a question of, oh my God, this happened to me and it's traumatic and I have I have been violated. It becomes a question of, oh my God, what did I do? I allowed mm-hmm. this, um, which we kind of right. talked about before. And consent goes out that window. No one understands consent, which is also that whole level of, well, if I tempted him, mm-hmm. then I owe it to him yeah. because this is my fault. Once again, going back to, we are the gatekeepers of our of sexuality in general. And therefore we are also the gatekeepers of whether or not a man is tempted. And mm-hmm. that means we owe it. And that that takes away consent. Like That absolutely takes that away. And this misconception of, I have to give it to you. And if right. I didn't explicitly fight you, yep. then I, I was willing. It's such a it's mm-hmm. such a narrative that, it, again, it just perpetuates the rape culture that we were talking about in that last episode as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it also teaches women and girls that any pain or abuse that happens to them may be a punishment for their premarital sexual interactions. Right, and I, I remember specifically one of my friends who went through a few miscarriages, uh, a stillborn, it was so traumatic and I, I, it was so painful for her because she just was so excited. And when these things happened to her, she came back and told me, it's because I had sex with so-and-so before marriage and I knew it and I knew it. I would think I was pregnant then and I miscarried then. Like there was no, this was all, these were all assumptions for her, but she mm-hmm. was so sure that it was yeah. her wrongdoing, that she suffered in her guilt to the point that she pushed everyone away because she she felt like she was so dirty and unclean because she had sex before marriage. And this was God's punishment mm-hmm. to her. And which I kind of was just like, what is happening? This is no, that's not that's not how this works. Because also that that conversation for those, there's so many who have in their mind done it the right way mm-hmm. that go through the same things. It's such a sad punishment for a needless, needless, made-up social construct. Mm-hmm. That it, it truly broke my heart. I was just yeah. like, I, it floored me, to be honest. I was like, I don't know what to say to this other than, no, it's not. But you can't fight someone's religious, you know what I mean, beliefs yeah. in themselves. You really can't. Even though I'm like, Are you, what? Mm-hmm. It was a whole thing. Another problematic thing with the purity culture is the romanticism and exaggeration of having sex, the expectation yeah. of sex grows wildly out of proportion when we really dream up this the night of the wedding thing. And I know, yeah. I think it's finally come to the point that everybody's like, hey, don't get too excited. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's, it's this whole, like, kind of a similar idea of getting your period. So you become a woman, you're a whole new changed woman, you look different, you walk differently. Right. That's not true. Sure, right. I'm in pain. I'm having even more <laughs> pain, and I'm very confused with what's happening with my body. Mm-hmm. But that's not—it's not a romanticized thing, and it's just such a misconception of what sex is. And if, and yes, having a connection and an emotional intimacy is a beautiful thing. And if you you're using the na- narrative of saving yourself for the one, you know, do what you need to. If that's something that you believe and that's what you treasure, and it works out, that's gonna—it's gorgeous. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. But it also brings on the idea that. Sex will be always be beautiful and magical, and it's going to be perfect. When eh, it's misleading and, yeah. and, and can be severely disappointing when everything goes awry. And I've I've heard many a tales of people's honeymoons being ruined because yeah. they didn't know what was going to happen. To the point that I even heard one person that it was so painful that she yeah. cried and they had to stop. Yeah. And that, I mean, that is a similar conversation to what we were talking about with the orgasms, where we've made it into this huge, huge thing. And it 
really shouldn't be. Like, if you want it to be special and all that, that's, like, that's great. But yeah, I remember once, I think it was, you know, college and me and my like really close group of um, women, female friends, we we talked about like, so the sex overrated? And we're like, yeah. <laughs> we all were kind of like, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. 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 <laughs> yep. And that's kind of where that lie comes in that women can't orgasm or, or shouldn't enjoy sex. It's right. not supposed to be for use for us. You know, that men's perspective. And again, yeah. that type of lie and that kind of misconception is really dangerous too and really sad. Mm-hmm. It's so sad. It is. When it can be a beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, which also, yes, leads to a complete misunderstanding of sex in general. The terms technical virgin and partial virgin are often floated around because the lack of sex education when it's abstinence only, that we kind of ignore everything. So everything's out of bounds, but nothing is talked about. Mm -hmm. So of course, girls are very confused about oral sex and who can do what, and then it becoming dirty and what becomes dirty and what becomes okay, what becomes taboo, what's sinful beyond just having premarital sex. Mm-hmm. And no one talks about the ins and outs of sexual contact or interaction at all and paints everything as immoral. Like I said, it's like it's just like all taboo and all hush-hush. And so therefore, there's a lot of things that you don't understand. Right. Which is not always bad, but at the same time, to be lied to and be taken advantage of happens a lot. Yeah. A lot. Which allows for misleading information, such as being able to get pregnant in hot tubs that float around. Yeah. I believed it for a minute. Or uh, that you can stop pregnancies by drinking bleach, which was, yeah, which actually done. Apparently, there was a couple of cases in Florida where teenagers got sick and you're like, oh, no, don't do that. Yeah. Or that, again, uh, by defining sex in such a heteronormative manner, ignores the queer community completely, again, and others them and shames them in general and brings even more confusion and so more disinformation comes out and it just becomes a whole festival of disinformation. Yeah, and I, I remember like you see that in instances a couple of years ago when there was that uh, story that uh, made headlines that a lot of young girls were being pressured into oral sex because they were being told it's not sex, so we can't right. have it. And then you won't be dirty and you won't have you know, lost your virginity. And you know, those, those can be confusing lines to cross, but they were basically... Yeah, being pressured into something based on this purity thing and based on the the boys wanted to have some type of sex. Right. Some type of sexual contact. Right. It's everything but. Right. But yeah, it is. And it, it is sad because you could, uh, the conversation is like, you could also get SEIs <laughs> this way and mm-hmm. people are not talking about it. People are not understanding it. And it's, it's seriously dangerous on on a health level when you like, again, spread this information as well as the fact that things like, you know, accidental pregnancies are happening because they're not talking about how they can get pregnant or how it actually works and what they need to do. And again, if they're not talking about it at all, you're not going to be prepared. So Mm -hmm. having a condom is not going to be a thing. Knowing how to use a condom is not going to be a thing. Right. Which is all very sad. (laughs) It is. It is indeed. Yeah, I believe I've even seen... God, I'm trying... I can't remember it exactly, but I remember there was this like idea that women could like stop sperm like by clenching oh yeah so it wouldn't go in far enough right to well there's also lunar cycles that people base yep. it on mm-hmm yep I have a friend who did that on her honeymoon they only had sex the one time triplets 
Yeah, so <laughs> a friend of a friend kept polluting that and was surprised when he had the sixth baby. <laughs> she's, she's the wish. So clearly, there are so many other things that we could cover. We, we've been talking about them on and off air, <laughs> other topics, yes. and some we could absolutely go more in depth on. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing wrong at all with waiting until you are comfortable to have sex, but we can't ignore the trauma and overall damage these types of myths can cause. Right. Um, for myself, again, like I, I've been saying, I think I've struggled. And you can tell there's a lot of things that I'm a little upset about, a little angry about because I was inundated in this culture as well. Again, my choice. It was like I pushed myself into this because this is what I needed, I think, at the time. But I now understand, wow, I'm having a hard time unlearning some of these concepts, yeah. even though I very well understand, like, this is bad. And then coming back to realize this is a strategy that was used politically to mm -hmm. motivate young women to understand, hey, you need to be under the authority of men. And uh, yeah, I struggled and I still struggle with the idea that sex can equate love at all. Again, my own trauma, my own ordeal as a child really had a lot to do with it. So abstinence was actually easy for me. Uh, yeah. I did not have sex until in my mid-20s. But for me in high school, because I was afraid of men and intimacy, Partially because of my own ethnicity, once again, being othered, I, I wasn't pure to begin with. Again, my childhood experience as an orphan and things I went through as an orphan um, defined me and uh, as something that was no longer usable or as uh, valuable. And mm -hmm. the culture of purity made me think it was because I was already defined that it was too late. And of course, I clung to that faith throughout some of the darkest time for me. And it helped. It pulled me out in that forgiveness and, and being able to come into, but there's something else bigger than me. And it's, I think that's beautiful. And for people who truly understands that and allows that to be, to make them a better person, wonderful. Yeah. But like, but that also meant intimacy or just having a boyfriend meant that I was owned that there was an ownership of me. And for me, it was easier to understand that because that's what I was taught. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, I was understanding. And it felt, it made sense because that's already something that I'd been uh, cultivated to feel like. I'd right. already been that way. It literally was bought from Korea to the U.S. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like they bought me. And it went through a lot of things. And, and even when I came here, I was shown my worth as a sexual being and being at 10 and 11 years old, 8, 9, 10. Uh, so it, all of those things mm -hmm. really did prepare me to be the perfect vessel under this purity culture because I wanted to be clean. Because, of course, that type of trauma teaches you that you're not clean. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of this misconception why it can be dangerous. And I'm, I, I'm, I've made it out. I have had therapy. I still had need therapy. I need medication. <laughs> I have to do all the things because it's not going to be cleansed from me, essentially, I guess is the best way. Because it's always, always going to be a part of my history. Yeah. But I think that's part of things like we have to really recognize it for what it is and why these myths are dangerous and perpetuating it in such a manner, especially when you're self-serving for an agenda. Yeah. Why we need to talk about it and, and dig a little deeper onto it. Again, that uh, book that I was telling you about, uh, The Purity Myth by Jessica Valenti, she has some really great takes in there. And we, we probably should visit it as a uh, book club, mm -hmm. even though I'm like, no, I don't know I can do this anymore. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like... And you and I have talked about this before, like that that feeling, is, it attaches. And when you start really going down that rabbit hole, it feels dark, even though it doesn't have to be. Yeah. Well, and so much of what we're talking about here is political and patriarchal, and we're teaching it from such a young age. 
And I will say, as we wrap this up, like it's really nobody's business. Right. Because I know for me, when like you be playing Never Have I Ever and people will be like, have you lost your virginity? And it, I lost it in a very traumatic right. sexual assault. And I would, I would literally freeze and not know what to do. Right. And that turned into, I know I've said before, there were these rumors I was like a slut. It right. was because people thought like, I got into some BDSM stuff, which is not even like, that's incorrect assumption as well. Right. But like that I, anyway, like, so that question can be very traumatic. And my, my therapist has said some people reframe it as like, a separate issue entirely. But like even the idea that this virginity has that much meaning right. that you're doing that. So it is unfortunate. And, and like one of the periods of abuse in my life I went through, I didn't know what like dating was. I didn't right. know like this guy's telling me he's my boyfriend. I'm like, I don't know. I guess maybe this is how it is. And uh, this is maybe how sex is because I didn't have any education <sighs> and I was young. So it, it's really sad because there's all of these like things that are coming together to create a very unhealthy, dangerous system and society for, for a lot of us. But here we're talking about like young girls and setting them up to take the blame for it. Right. So yeah, there is a lot back on this whole uh, thing. Yeah, we came in saying, oh yeah, it's going to be a big one. And then I came in saying, okay, this might be a two-parter. <laughs> and it was. And <laughs> it was. And if there's anything, listeners, that you want us to unpack in more detail, there was certainly plenty, please let us know. Our email is stuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff I've Never Told You or on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.